Welcome to So Bad It's Good with Ryan Bailey, the podcast where we cover all the pop culture we love to hate, from the classic reality TV moments of the past and present to the latest Daily Mail headlines and everything in between. We'll dive into all the infamous and notorious messes you can't stop watching. I'm looking at you, Jax Taylor. I'm your host, Ryan Bailey. green too much fun indeed so bad it's good nation baddies out there what is up it is tuesday it is so bad it's good with ryan bailey i am the aforementioned ryan bailey uh tuesday that was that was a jam that's what i feel like i feel like tuesday is going to be kind of like easing into the week but in a chill cool way like it might be a sunglasses day even if it's like cold and snowy where you're at throw on some sunglasses there used to be a song growing up when i uh by Corey hart where it was like i wear my sunglasses at night and it was kind of uh i remember it, it was like a cool kid song but also at the same time it kind of promoted douchebaggery i think you know because it's sometimes it's like don't wear your sunglasses at night sunglasses are primarily made for the daytime Um, oh, and it also just reminded me a lot of my bullies in junior high and high school were Oakley's like there are just certain sunglasses. Do you guys know Oakley's? They always are in a weird shape, weird design. And it just looked, it just looked like it was like, if you went to like the mall and and you went into a sunglass shop and you're like, I'm a bully. What kind of glasses do bullies wear? They would point you towards the Oakley's or you're like going to be a gym teacher at some point in your life. I'm so sorry if you guys have uh, boyfriends or girlfriends that wear Oakleys. I'm sure it's great. I just could never pull them off. (laughs) Anyways, I don't want to get off topic because we have so much to cover. You guys, today we have an amazing guest and it's a little bit of a detour for me. So I cannot wait to take you uh, guys with me on this journey. We have a, we have a bit, we have an actual real, uh, journalist with us today, uh, from a little network we call CNN. His name is Samuel Burke and you guys are going to, you're going to love him. I, I, I mean, I love him. He, I, I got to have an hour conversation with him today and he has a new podcast that uh, debuted mid, uh, mid-February. It's called Sudden Family DNA Discoveries with Samuel Burke. Uh, there are going to be 10 episodes in all. Eight episodes are already out. They're 30-minute bite-sized chunks. But it goes down 
people that do those 23 and me, um, and ancestry.com, those, those things, you know, uh, and, and people that don't, aren't overjoyed sometimes by the results that find out they have a dad that they didn't know was their dad. They have another relative they're solving, uh, mysteries through. It's a really fascinating podcast. And I, I you know, I thought there was a lot of, you know, speaking of DNA, DNA with this podcast and with what he does. And I was just so excited to talk to him. Uh, you know, he started off, uh, you know, interning for Anderson Cooper's show, work for Christine Amanpour, who's just history, you know, talks about Larry King in the interview. Uh, we talk about reality shows, of course. We talk about the Royals. He covered overseas Meghan and Harry's uh, wedding. I mean, this guy is just fascinating. He is the real deal. And it just, I was so delighted with this conversation because as this grows and as you guys grow with me, I want to thank you in advance for letting me kind of push these boundaries. I think it all fits in the same uh, the same tent. So I'm so excited for you guys to hear this interview because he was just amazing. And I was like, I'm, I'm actually talking to a real journalist and he couldn't have been cooler. But before we get to that, and remember, there are timestamps. So if you want to skip this part where I make the, uh, you know, the pee pee poo poo jokes, <laughs> um, feel free to to do that and skip right to the interview. Um, OK, I, I, let's start off with I want to start off with a well wish to a listener. Um gosh, she didn't give me her exact name on, on Twitter. She goes by, uh, Kyle's the ragamuffin. And I know she is getting, um, she's, she's having surgeries the next two Wednesdays. And I wanted, if we could, and I know this might sound a little cheesy, but if you're listening, just give a thought out to, uh, Kyle's the ragamuffin. I don't, that is not her real name, but, um, you know, give a thought out to her. You know, we, we're all facing some kind of uh, issue, some some um, some medical, some mental, um, you know, a lot of kids, uh, you know, listeners that have kids. We're all going through something. And, and she reached out and it was just a really nice DM that I received from her. And it really touched me. So, uh, you know, Kyle's the ragamuffin. We are all uh, thinking about you for these next two Wednesdays. Also, she started this off with a correction, you guys. Uh, she said, out of love, I'm going to fact check you on your most recent podcast, which was Monday's. Taylor Swift got her third career win last night for album of the year, Fearless 2010, 1989. God, wasn't that a great album? Uh, 2016 and then Folklore 2021. And she quoted from the New York Times, Swift is now the fourth artist and the first woman ever to win the top Grammy three times alongside uh oh have you guys heard these guys stevie wonder frank sinatra and paul simon that is pretty pretty uh great company um oh wait 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 she does give her name her name is jude hi jude how are you okay i found it uh she even says hello to my mom and dad uh i don't think my mom and dad listen to the podcast so i will tell them personally when i talk to them again about summer house god i told you i told you guys about that right i I forget what i tell you my dad and mom continued to watch summer house i had i took a call from him on saturday my dad was he was like where how do i um i'm on your dvr because i have this at&t now thing which i'm thinking about switching to youtube because they just keep raising their prices and they only have 20 hour dvd storage if you guys have any recommendations for like tv viewing apps you use uh let me know holler at me but I, I let my parents use it, and my dad was like, "It's which summer house do we want to 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 watch?" 
And he and I was like, well, it's the only one I've taped at. And he's like, well, it says watch old episodes. And I was like, well, watch the newer episode. And then he's reading the dates. And I felt a secret shame because he was like, is it PowerPoint problems? And that was the name of last week's episode. And I was like, yes, dad. Yes, it is PowerPoint problems. So my mom and dad of their own volition, I know they did it for me, but I didn't ask. They did watch Summer House last week, which was a great episode. So I'm so excited. I would love nothing more if I talked to my parents and my mom was like, that Hannah's a little bitch, huh? What is the deal with that Hannah? Um, we are going to talk about Hannah and Dez's relationship. Uh, a listener, Kelsey, sent me uh, an interesting YouTube clip that I want to play for you guys about the actual timeline of their relationship. We need to make sure we get this right uh, because Summer House, it just kind of would clear up a lot of things Um that I'm very confused about in terms of Hannah and Luke's relationship. I know you guys are confused as well. We need to crack the case. Okay, you guys, it is 12 a.m. Now, I guess it is Tuesday morning. You're like, Ryan, why did you wait so late to record these wraparounds? Well, it's because I was held hostage. Yeah, I was held hostage by a little franchise called The Fucking Bachelor. This these assholes over at ABC expect us to watch three hours of TV on a Monday night. Do you know this is like my busiest time of the, the day now is at night? I'm trying to cram below deck sailing yacht, the, the 90 day fiance I didn't work watch from the, the night before. I'm trying to, you know, I, I had to watch not just The Bachelor, I had to watch the After the Final Rose. This guy, Matt James, he is, he's primed for a breakdown. This guy is mentally not going to make it. And usually that's a little entertaining to watch. Not so with Matt James. Matt James, I, you know, my one goal in life, you guys, is now to, at some point, be in front of Matt James and to try to bore him as much as he's bored me this season. And I, I, he seems like a good guy. He's a hot guy. We all know it, even though he's now grown out a very bushy beard. Usually I love beards, not on Matt. I think Matt might be going with the, well, if nobody can have me, then I'll just make myself ugly. And that way nobody has to worry about mad old James, you know? So you guys... Spoiler alert, if you don't want to be spoiled for The Bachelor, uh, skip ahead uh, to the, the interview. Let's get into this. Just just a hair. Will you allow to will you let me walk you through The Bachelor? Just a hair. So th- there's a couple problems with this show. We got two hours. This guy is taking two minute long pauses where he'll just sit there and be asked how he feels and he'll go, um, hmm. And you know he's feeling very deeply, but it's like, come on, dude. I got things to do. I got I got I got other shows to watch. Do you think I can really sit here and watch you hem and haw and not say anything for two minutes? Yes, I guess I can, because I do watch it, but it makes me very upset by the time he said like literally on the after the final rose, he paused so long they went to commercial. The guy hosting was like, uh, okay, after the break, you know was like dude you can't do this you are a stiff at some point i was like is, is our medics around are they gonna check this guy's pulse i think he passed out i think he's it, it, anyways um i do want to inform everybody i've learned uh he so it was down to two girls you guys rachel mcconachill or something i, I still haven't i'm just not good at this um and michelle rachel and michelle were the final two ladies 
Very exciting. And spoiler alert, Michelle, he, she was there. it's their final meeting. And he's like, she's like, oh, and it's always, it's always this way where the girl's like, I've never felt something like this in my entire life. And she bought him like a basketball jersey that it's like, you know, it's like our love team. And she gets, she's like, and I got one and I don't want to be too presumptuous, but I got one for myself. And it said like wifey on the back. And you could tell that was the moment that pushed Matt off the cliff because he was like, oh, shit, she's buying me jerseys. I don't know. I don't think I can do this. And she's like, um, you seem hesitant. And these poor women. They have to like just try to pull anything out of him. It's just that he's so good looking. These women think it's their job to like do all the heavy emotional lifting because this guy's just a dud. And I know I'm sure I'm going to get some emails angrily about Matt saying he's just an angel. I, I, I went through the same thing with Tyler Cameron, you guys. Just because you have abs does not mean you're you have emotional depth. Please. That just means you have like crinkles in your belly where fat is supposed to be. <laughs> So this guy, so, you know, obviously, and you could tell this guy, like, I, I can tell that he's a decent person and, and no, all joking aside, because you could see he was like, oh, fuck, how did I get here? This is the part where I have to completely crush somebody. And usually in the old version of The Bachelor, they would crush the girl's heart or guy's heart on the day of. Like so like the girl would come out in the forest or in the cliff on the ocean, wherever they, they were at. And, you know, the girl would come out and he'd be like, I'm so sorry, I didn't pick you. And then the second person or the you know, they would always flip flop. It. it would be the I love you. And now he was able to end it the day before. They've got to get. They've got to train these bachelor and bachelorettes. A li- they, they're letting it get a little too loose, where they're going all over the map with this thing. You know, like they shouldn't. He shouldn't be allowed to dump her the night before the big final deal. Like these guys are going rogue all over the place. I mean, Claire just literally fell in love the first day and left. We we've got to. Bachelor Nation is falling apart, and I'm not just talking about Chris Harrison on his last legs as a host. All of Bachelor Nation, we need to set some laws down with Bachelor Nation. Anyways, he does that, and so he's like, so then he uh, he doesn't, you know, he's just, he's confused because his mom earlier in the episode said, you know, well, love is shit, <laughs> like love isn't forever, there's better things than love, because his love, you know, his mom was like, burnt by Matt's dad so real intense feelings and it really screwed Matt up and the thing at the end though so then so then Rachel the girl that is in all the trouble for the uh, the racist pictures and she likes some QAnon postings real weird shit and you know she comes out she's nervous I love when Chris Harrison greets them at the limo and he's always like this should be a drinking game when he goes how you feeling how you feeling? And he has this kind of like half smile, half serious. He's like, well, he's waiting on in there for you. I, I could do this. You got he Well, he's in this weird forest structure we've built for him. Because you guys, it was in the forest and they built something that looked like a cross between Midsummer and uh, Taylor Swift's folklore. I, I was like expecting like, like, you know, what is that? The gingerbread fairy? No, what is that thing? little the little wolves and the the baked the kids god you guys know what i'm talking about i just it was a weird 
flipping thing. Like half the time I expect, like if I was mad, I would get out and go, are you shitting me? You guys, we could have just done this at the hotel. I mean, this is more scary than anything else. They put like mirror props and like flowers everywhere. It was like, this is not like, Smokey the bear does not, this is a fire hazard out here. We do not need, there's COVID already running around. You're building like, you're building huts in the middle of the forest so I can like barely propose to this girl. Anyways, he, spoiler alert, you guys, again, he says to the girl, he's like, I'm not prepared to marry you right now, but I do love you. And I see you as my wife and I see you as somebody I am going to have kids with and they're going to be crazy, he says. And she's like, oh, fuck, I won. And she's like, Bang. you know, she could tell she's all like relieved. And she's like, you know, you could t- I always love that. Then like she's like, oh, I'm not getting dumped. Like she does not care at all. She's not getting the ring. She's like, oh, cool. I'm not getting dumped. So they go off happily ever after. But then the the thing that we know is that all of this stuff surfaced uh, in the interim of this happening. So I do want to give a shout out. <laughs> I hate when I, I hate. There's so many words I hate when I say. I want to give a, a quick shout out to um, to the host of after the final rose and i'm going to butcher his name emmanuel emmanuel ho ho was the host and he had a really tough job because he was coming in to replace chris harrison just for this season even though we do know he's not going to come back for the bachelorette which i'll talk about in a second and he had to kind of bridge he's you know he's an african-american man um and he had to kind of bridge the gap where having a tough conversation between rachel and matt you know I thought he was going to have to do a lot of explaining about Chris Harrison, but that was barely mentioned just in the beginning, I believe. And I did not, I was not familiar with him. And at first I was kind of like, eh, I, you know, I was like, he's, you know, I, I'm so hard on people and I expect a lot out of my hosts for these shitty reality shows. But so it was tough, but I got to say like a third of the way into it, I was like, I dig this guy. Like, and he was kind of, he kind of had, he, he kind of had his own thing going and I don't really want to say swagger cause he had that, but there was this, he had a really inter, inter, interesting way of connecting with the people on there, giving them respect. Um, but asking some tough questions, but doing it in a very respectful manner. He was good at talking to the camera. Um, I also, uh, but he did this great thing with both of the ladies, you know, Michelle comes out. And she says she doesn't have closure with Matt, blah, blah, blah. Matt comes out, you know, he's a, you know, barely, he's like a walking corpse. Nothing really happens. And (laughs) Emmanuel goes, "Uh, Michelle, do you, would you like to hug Matt seeing as this is potentially the last time you'll ever, ever see him in your life? (laughs) She was just, and he did the same thing with Rachel. He goes, Rachel, would would you guys like to hug seeing as you might not ever speak again in the rest of your life? It was so brutal, but he said it so genuine that you couldn't fault him. I just thought it was a really tough job and he came out with flying uh, colors. And I got to tell you guys, this is what I told you like a week or two ago. Chris Harrison should have never, the fact that this happened and he did well, that's, that raises a lot of, uh, that, that raises a lot of eyebrows over at uh, Bachelor Nation and ABC because guess what? Emmanuel doesn't uh, charge $7 million like Chris Harrison does. So Chris Harrison must be shitting in those J. Crew slacks because I, I guys keep saying it's the gig of a lifetime. I would kill to have a gig like that. And this guy did really great. 
So uh, I do want to do another huge spoiler alert. They announced who the Bachelorette is for the next season. And do you want to hear? Da, 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 da. That's my fun music. It is we have two seasons. We have two The Bachelorettes that are going to air this year. Guys, can we not? Can we just try to get one good one? Like this is, why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this to us? We have families. We're, I mean, we're supposed to get back to our lives. We don't need, where were you during COVID shitheads? We don't need two seasons now. We need to get back to our lives. How about one of the seasons where you just don't air anything for two hours? We promise to watch 10 minutes of commercials and you let us go about our nights, you know? Like that's the show I want to see eventually. Um, but since they're not going to do that and they're money grubbers, Katie Thurston and Michelle Young will each get a turn handing out roses. The rap.com reports ABC will air two seasons of the bachelorette this year with fan favorites, Katie Thurston, Michelle Young, both selected to get a turn as the centerpiece of the franchise. Thurston's season. Katie, uh, will premiere first as part of ABC's summer schedule while Young's will air in the fall. And they announced this at the very end. So Michelle was one of the final two on Matt James's season. So she is getting a second chance at love. I got to tell you, I, I, I'm not excited about either of these ladies. I just, I, I know they're good hearted women. I, there's just, uh, it'll all depend on the casting of the men at this point for me. And who cares, right? But it's it, it just your, I feel like you're already setting me up for like, oh, okay, well, I potentially don't have to watch that good. Um, and I just feel you're oversaturating the market. Like just ABC's like, <laughs> you know, the things where they're kind of in some trouble right now because of this scandal and Chris Harrison, it's like, you don't then put your foot on the gas and drive it over the cliff. And I feel like that's what you're doing when you do two of the same series. Like what, you know, like don't double your mistake. Just work on one, one really good one. One of my theories is that since we know Matt, uh, that we know Chris Harrison won't be back for, uh, he won't be hosting Katie's season. I was wondering if one of the things since they're in love or since they're trying to, you know, keep Chris Harrison around is if that's why they're doing too. So Chris Harrison will be back for the second Bachelorette season. So that's a prediction I'm making right now. Um, can somebody keep track of these for me? My, my little silly predictions, see if they... They come true. I, I take them very, very serious. Okay, so that is The Bachelor. Matt James, um, you owe me an apology. You owe all of us a, a, an apology. I hear they're going to be selling you as human melatonin at Costco this summer. So uh, that will hopefully be the f next time I see you. Okay, what else do we got here, folks? Oh, you guys. Lala and Rand. They did it. Folks, Lala Kent, Lauren from Utah, as I like to call her, and Randall, the Irishman Emmett, had their baby yesterday. Uh, the baby's name is Ocean Kent Emmett. So we are right, folks. We are right with the baby name Emmett of ocean we are two for two for babies names uh we never guessed cruise uh i want to talk about cruise uh a second but there is a picture that randall posted and lala posted of a little baby's arm i'm imagining the baby is breastfeeding um and lala's face uh 
you know, she looks like she's given birth and that is all, you know, so baby and mama is, is healthy and that's all, you know, we can, we can ask for. Uh, I, I bet we will get a post in the next couple of days where, where Randall calls Lala a warrior. Like that's always, you see those in a lot of posts that men post for their women, like this warrior over here birthed our baby. So I'm waiting for that post with Randall and I, <laughs> I'm waiting for the Jack's post where he congratulates Randall and like, Randall, you did this, my brother. You, I love you. But Jax didn't post that, but he did post some stupid jackass thing where he posted. I'm getting so confused with these baby. You guys know if you listen to the show that I'm not. I got to. Sorry, I had to turn the, the music down. Um, you guys know that I'm not a big fan of giving babies their own Instagrams unless they're actually it's the actual baby posting. And. So little baby Couchy, Jax's baby's Instagram, uh, posted saying, another one of my girlfriends has arrived. Can't wait to meet you, beautiful baby ocean. And then Mr. Jax Taylor's Instagram reposted little baby Couchy's Instagram. <laughs> this is so ridiculous. This is ridiculous. But okay, there's a couple things I want to say about this. Jax, what if your son's gay? Like, Another one of my girlfriends has arrived. So far, he's got little baby Couchy, like like with Stassi's baby and with Lala's baby. Like, it's all cute and shit, but like, dude, what if your, your baby is gay? What if your ba- baby is trans? What if you, like, you just don't know. Don't be stupid like this. Don't give photographic proof of you being a bigger effing idiot when we already have audio tape of you bad-mouthing little baby Couchy's mother. You do this to yourself all the time. When is he going to wise up and just let things... If you love being a father, go love the hell out of it. I, I want you to love it. Dude, this, this dummy posted the other day, he posted on his Instagram, where his legs didn't work and he just fell, so he just sat there. He said, my legs went numb. So he took a picture on the floor with his two legs out and he thought he was being funny and i'm like you dipshit what if you had the baby in your arms and by the way don't like he didn't actually just thought i'm I'm sure he just thought he was being clever or something of like oh does this happen to you where parts extremities of your body just go numb and you fall down and you decide to stay here and take a picture and post it on social media instead of going up getting up like but like the thing is, Jax, you're talking all the time about being a dad. What if you did that with the baby in your arms? Anyways, all I'm saying is, why are you pimping little baby Couchy out? Like, little baby Couchy might not be a complete slut like you were. You know what I'm saying? He's already pit, like he's already pitting little... And also, okay, Cruz, I thought more about the name Cruz. I don't like it because of Ted Cruz, but I also don't like it because... Remember that Jax, Jax was made. He started as Jason. Let Cruz become a Cruz if he wants to. Cruz is like a Jax in that it's like the hot bartender that you uh, unfortunately slept with. And in the moment, it was like hot, but then you regret. That's a Cruz, just like that's a Jax. Do you know what I'm saying? So let your son decide if he wants to be a Cruz later in life. But maybe he just wants to be a Thomas right now. Maybe he wants to be a Ryan. Maybe he wants to be a Ralph. Let him decide if he ever wants to get to the name Cruz. Do you guys think I'm being too tough or do you guys get it? I mean, I just, it's just a thought. Oh, and this, you guys are going to love this. I'm going to play this sound clip. So Lisa Vanderpump overserved. Her new show is coming to E. Even my mom saw previews and she texts. Now any, 
I love my parents. Anytime they see reality show stuff now, they'll text me. They're like, I see Lisa Vanderpump is returning to E for this show overserved. Uh, <laughs> I really find it darling. Um, but uh, I saw this clip online of Lisa Vanderpump being interviewed by Us Weekly. You guys know how I love Us Weekly. Shout out to Sarah Heron, um, who was a guest last week. But uh, this is what Lisa said about Jax and Brittany deciding to leave Vanderpump Rules. And were you surprised that Brittany and Jax decided to take a step back? Was I surprised what <laughs> they decided? Well, <laughs> if, if you put it like that, yeah, I would have been really surprised. Oh, my God. That makes me almost really love Lisa Vanderpump again. Uh, she was basically saying, yeah, I'd be really surprised because they got fired. They didn't cho choose to leave. Uh, truth to power, Lisa. Truth to power. Before we get to our amazing guest, Samuel, I wanted to do one last thing. Um, so one of my listeners and uh, friends and, and Patreon subscribers, Kelsey Barton, I believe is her name. She uh, sent me a clip for, with with Des and Hannah, who are engaged now, uh, you know, Hannah, of course, from Summer House, like a 10 minute interview with Bryce Sander from Entertainment Tonight. And I actually really, really love the whole interview. Uh, it's on YouTube. I suggest you go check it out if you're if that's sort of your thing. I'm just going to play a couple clips uh, because he establishes a timeline because, like I said, we're all confused about the timeline. I do have to say this is one of the first times I've really heard Des and I really I really like the guy and she seems, I mean, she seems to be into him. So maybe this, this is a, a good thing. He, he, he seems like he definitely loves her a lot. He doesn't seem like a, a douchebag. I mean, just, this is from a 10 minute clip. Who knows? He could be psychotic, but he seems really, and he seemed very um, affable, but not kind of thirsty, you know, like, you know, that switch over, I guess it, you really tell like a year in when they decide if they really want to be a part of the Bravo verse and then start pushing them on people. Bo got a little bit like that with Stassi for a minute. I don't know if he's still like that, but there was that kind of vibe going around where it's like, he's liking this a little too much too quickly, uh, but does seem nice. I could see him on, uh, I think he's, Definitely coming on to Summer House, but it'll be curious to see if he's in future seasons. But let's get to this. Bryce Sander, he is there. He is Entertainment Tonight's Real Housewives correspondent with another dream job of mine. So listen to this, you guys. Let's establish the timeline here, because I do feel like there's this conversation happening with the viewers that are like, she came into the house. She's having these really strong feelings about Luke, but now only so many months later, she's engaged to the love of her life. How does this happen? I was crying, not because I was heartbroken. I was crying out of frustration and anger after talking to Sierra and realizing this person that was taking up so much of my time was like lying about me and really did not care <laughs> and wasn't the person I thought he was. So just want to make that clear but also des and i met like two and a half weeks before the show we went on the dates i really liked him i kept talking to him when i got there um and you'll and see we were we were we had a very clear conversation about not being exclusive and all that so there's there's actually there's no real concerns about the timeline people can have their perception about how she felt about luke or not i mean let's sometimes people ask me and i'm like listen i don't care how much somebody is an ex when you get stuck in a house with somebody, that's an that's emotional turmoil. I say anything and he just starts freaking out at me that I I'm this terrible person. I don't want to cry. Like I'm so I'm in such a good place in my life. I don't need that. I really think that as Des and I got closer on the phone at night, I, it was really easy for me to be like, oh, this situation is toxic, and never looking back. And you'll see in the house that my actions definitely really changed towards Luke. 
do you think we'll see Dez in a sh- way, shape, or form on the show this season? A hundred percent. He, you actually start to see some of the phone calls very soon, and he comes to the house. Des goes on to say that he refers to Luke as Hannah's ex-boyfriend, and I think there is this false narrative that is pushed that Luke was actually Hannah's ex-boyfriend, and maybe Hannah, it was in Hannah's mind, like an imaginary boyfriend, where Luke thought he was very, I don't know, it's a very tricky, sticky situation, and it seems like Luke is on the losing side of it, um, even if he didn't mean to be, Um you know, so hopefully Luke is um, Luke is going to be all right in all of this. But she is sticking to this timeline that she met him a couple of weeks before they went in the summer house. So we will try to get further information. I do like Des. Uh, if, it actually made Hannah kind of more charming. The last thing I want to report, this kind of dives into this as well. It, it kind of spins into winter house. We've got some Dumois. Uh, Dumois blind uh, or people sent these things into Dumois and said this about Winterhouse. Anon, please. Love when they say Anon. Flew from Burlington to New York City today and happened to be behind Austin Craig and maybe Sierra from Summerhouse, presumably returning from filming Winterhouse in Stowe. Naturally, Austin had his mask down and kept turning around to talk to Craig. You know, classic Muppet mouth shit. Um, they say, to be fair, he might have been eating, but it was an extremely short flight, and he definitely didn't need to be turning around masks down. <laughs> Craig seemed very nice, wore his mask, was in my seat, but apologized and was going to move, but we just took his row. Okay, this is the big news. Looked like Sierra and Austin may be together. Flirty, and she was sleeping on him. Damn. Wow. So Luke never gets his shot with Sierra. And I, I think we heard Luke was in Winterhouse, so I just feel like, are we just going to have to watch Luke get his ass handed to him for, like, the next next little bit? Because we know it doesn't go well in the second season of Summerhouse from him from that mid-season trailer. Um, mm, 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 mm. So very exciting to see Winterhouse. But they're also Kyle Cook, you guys, posted already. They're already back home. It's only been two and a half weeks. So did Winterhouse, I mean, they just did this in two and a half weeks. I don't want them rushing Winterhouse. I feel like we can fake snow or CGI in snow. Let's get it right. Let's not rush it. Let's get it right, you know? Oh, and also this is another thing from Dumois is that there's going to be a new show on Bravo, supposedly. A new Bravo show coming to Charleston. It is going to be like, they said, a D-list version of Vanderpump Rules. Bravo is casting now for a show that will be will be based in Leva's King Street Club, Republic. We know how she runs Republic. She mentioned it many times. And uh, and Craig's um, sewing pillow uh, brick and mortar is going to be on the same street. So that's exciting. If Charleston has just a whole street of Southern charm shit, you know, maybe uh, Whitney can have a guitar store or something. But um, they're casting for it now. The funny part is she doesn't want the staff of her actual, her own staff on the show. Uh, they say, I guess they're not interesting enough. So they are auditioning food and beverage people from other hotspots in town. Definitely bigger personalities from the people I know who have auditioned. That would be way better on reality TV. The Republic staff is pissed apparently because they'll be giving up good shifts for filming. That's great, man. I'm telling you, this is what Bravo's getting their head in the game. I would gladly watch another bar series. Vanderpump doesn't have a patent on um, young, hot people cheating on each other at bars. They have a patent on that Sorali. Nobody can, nobody, I, I will not, I will not hail allegiance to the Republic 
back alley. Sir is the only back alley I have I am committed to. So that is all the Bravo news that you need to know right now. We'll be coming at you tomorrow with more news. If there are any um like like Kelsey did, if you have anything to uh send in, send it to me. It's so bad it's good with Ryan Bailey at gmail.com. DM me. I try to take a two day break to see if I could break my shadow ban on Instagram. It does not seem to be happening. Um I talked to Dumois tonight and it is happening or to her as well. And she has a huge account. So it was, it was not, I don't say comforting, but I, I it was, it, I was like, oh, it, it's nice that it's not nice, but it was just, I was happy to hear that it might be happening to somebody else too. And somebody with that big of account. But um, anyways, keep uh, following me on Instagram. Unfortunately, it'll be hard to search for me. So you have to type in so bad. It's good with Ryan Bailey for me to pop up. And, um, and for the time being, just uh, like all my posts, I guess this is so sad. I'm a grown man. I guess just do what you want to do. Um, you guys. Oh, yeah. And also go join the Patreon. Five bucks a month gets you 90 plus episodes. Uh, me and Maritza Lopez are covering Real Housewives of Miami season one. Uh, me and Kate Legeco are covering this season of Real Housewives of Dallas. And me and Emily Clayton are covering this season of Summer House. And it's an amazing season. This past week's episode we just put out on Sunday is just so fun and funny. And I think you'll dig it. Um, so go join up over there. It really does help me out a lot. Um, and I think that's it. Oh, yeah. And also thank you to Maritza Lopez. Um, she does all the beautiful digital graphic works, but she also introduced me to my next guest, Samuel Burke. He is a CNN uh, uh, correspondent, a journalist. Uh, this podcast uh, that he has, Sudden Families, I really want you to go subscribe, go rate and review, test one out and see if you like it. I think you will. It is very well, well produced. He just turned out to be a great guy, and I was very, very happy to do something a little different. So please let, let me know what you think, because I would like to do other things like this. He was just such a cool guy, so funny, and I hope you guys love him. I'll talk to you on Wednesday. Ladies and gentlemen, today we have something very special. Uh, we have a multiple daytime Emmy Award winner joining us. Uh, yeah, that's insane right off the bat. But what he does is even crazier. This is so amazing. Uh, the podcast that he is hosting right now, you are going to freak out. It started on February 19th. There are eight episodes out so far. We have two to go. And I... I binged this podcast. It's called Sudden Family DNA Discoveries with Samuel Burke. Uh, that is the podcast, but his history, his pedigree coming into this, CNN International, uh, worked with Christiane Amanpour, uh, interned for Anderson Cooper. Uh, I, there's just so, I'm going to get right into it. Samuel Burke, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for doing this. Well, you're all about reality shows, and this is the biggest reality show on earth, actually reality show. Well, that's what I was, I always tell the audience is that, you know, people say about movies, movies are so crazy. And then I was like, look at these reality shows. They have some semblance of real life and they are way crazier than a movie can ever be. And your podcast, there are eight 30 minute episodes. Guys, these are amazingly, they're so well produced, put together that tells eight stories about people taking a, a DNA swab from 23andMe or Ancestry.com and finding out the course of their life is not what they thought it once was. I mean, I guess the first question is, 
where did this idea come from? Because I know you have a personal history with this. It came from my DNA. All the advertisements for DNA uh, tests and all the series that you see out there are all sponsored by the DNA industry. So what they show is this overjoyed. I'm so happy to find out this is exactly what I was looking for. But the reality that they don't like to talk about are people like my family, where you have these bombshells that completely change your ethnicity, your family, who your mom and dad are. I had three DNA bombshells in my own family. So I said, this is the greatest soap opera on earth. I mean, some of it has been very difficult. We have found joy at the end, like a, like a great soap opera many times. But I thought these are the stories that really need to be told because a lot of people are experiencing this, but experiencing it in secret. Yeah, I mean, it, it was fascinating is I, I love that aspect of DNA discoveries is a joyful process. And and sometimes, you know, there's a beautiful story about a, a gay man discovering that he has a daughter. I mean, just a wonderful story. And then you get it from the daughter's perspective. And and there's like this kind of feeling there, there are certain ones that just really touch you. And then there's certain ones like the last story where where the woman uh, found out that her father was not her father. And then her sister was kind of um, wary that her sister had tried to make contact and, and, and understand things better. And this is the thing that the DNA industry never tells you about, that at the swab of a cheek, all of a sudden, you may rip your family in two. There are two <laughs> sisters. They find out they're half-sisters. <laughs> and the sister who's left behind, so to speak, is really hurt that the her now half-sister is pursuing a relationship with the man who's actually her biological father, not the man who raised them, the man that their mother was having an affair with. And she's furious. Now, they do come to a place of peace but it takes them a lot of struggle to get there. And the struggle in my own family, my dad found out that his, the man who raised him was not his biological father. We're Jewish and our, our DNA test showed up as Mormon, which is, you know, confusing maybe for anybody who's not Mormon, but certainly for a Jewish family. And in my dad's case, he did not get to meet his biological father. He had died just a, a year before. And we saw he had a half brother. He was so excited to meet. And the half brother had taken his life just before my dad found this out. So there's some real... There are very difficult situations, real life trauma and drama to deal with as this unfolds. Now, you came up, uh, you know, you studied at the Cronkite School at ASU. Go Sun Devils. I'm an ASU grad myself. We're very proud of you, Samuel. I mean, what a career that you, I mean, you're doing good for ASU. Finally, somebody's doing great for ASU. <laughs> um, I mean, you come up, you, you you get brought into this, and I want to talk a little bit about your history in that. But is your mind now kind of, uh, th did this podcast come up where you're constantly looking for stories or looking for things that you can tell, and then you realize, well, I have something in my own backyard, and and everybody else probably, there's so many people that have similar stories. Well, most reporters don't actually want to report on themselves, believe that or not. I think in the age of Anderson, Chris, and Don, who do so much of their lives on camera, people find that hard to believe. But actually getting into the nitty gritty, not just Chris and Andrew Cuomo being on air together every <laughs> evening during Corona, most of us really don't want to report on it because it's really difficult when you get into, not the fun stuff, when you get into the hard stuff and the regret that I felt for buying my dad a DNA test. But I always try yeah, you you bought the DNA test. You Sorry, you Dad. launched this whole thing, right? You yeah, shipped the ship. 
started as a Hanukkah gift, didn't know it would end up as a Mormon gift. But this is the thing, it's very hard to report on your own family. So I try to always bring my journalism skills to it. Uh, but I wanted to really get into the nitty gritty, the personal things that maybe you don't necessarily discuss on a CNN. And uh, but I always try to keep it I always did keep it factual. And in this case, the facts are so wild. I mean, the gay guy who finds out that he has a daughter, my dad finding out that he has Jewish and Mormon ancestry. The murder mystery at Christmas? I mean- a woman who's murdered, they believe, 75 years ago at Christmas. The woman who finds out that her best friend is her half-sister, the woman that she's been best friends with her whole life that people have always joked, oh, you guys look so much alike, who finds out she's actually her sister. And there are those certain moments you have in this podcast and you capture it really well. I mean, really hats off to this production team. It is so beautifully produced. But there are those moments when you have, you know, somebody where they they see the the photo of a, a family and they're like, I I can see it in the eyes. I can I can see it. I think that was your family, actually, wasn't it? That was mine. When I looked at this Mormon guy, the picture of him, I said, oh, my God, I finally see myself in somebody. And this turns out to be my biological grandfather. Even more wild, my mom, while we're working on this series, my mom was my script editor. We're working <laughs> on it and we get an email from somebody saying, I found out that I'm half Greek. My mom's half Greek. And uh, I want to know my biological family. And my mom forwards it to me thinking it's a scam. I look up the woman who sent this email to my mom. She looks just like my mom, more like my mom than the sister that my mom was raised with. And lo and behold, while we're making this series, my mom finds out that another Another woman from our same synagogue is her half sister. In fact, her father had had an affair with another woman from our family's same synagogue. So a lot for my mom to take in. But that moment of looking at the picture, I show it to my mom and she says, well, we don't need a DNA test. That woman is obviously my sister. Get me a glass of wine. Samuel, this is a reality show. This is, you need to sell this to Bravo. This is, I mean, this is just so, it goes. And But the thing is, everybody, every family has a story, maybe not DNA related, but has some story about a family secret or a, something that was hidden along the way and it's really you just do it such justice that I, I loved it so much when your dad I mean because what did he think he was he was Dutch Dutch thought, and Jewish and then that did not show up at all and then it's great you guys uh he has conversations with his brother he has to let his brother know and it's this this kind of like thing I mean when you were in there actually speaking to your dad where did your did your stomach immediately drop or you're like let's let's play this out because in the show you're like well it could be or the brother's like it could be this is close to this and we'll see this is where I made a big mistake the journalist in me wanted to solve the mystery so I was just working away trying to figure out who is my dad's biological father how are we related to all these Mormons and once I had the answer I quickly called up my dad and my dad was really hurt. My dad was devastated to find out that his dad was not his biological father. So I try not to say buyer beware, but go in with your eyes wide open. And if you get something on your DNA test, which nobody's expecting or hardly anybody's expecting, but it will happen inevitably, you have to take it slowly. I ripped off the bandaid way too fast for my dad. And just a crazy number to note, 
11% of people, according to one study, will find out that one of their biological parents is not their biological parent. Right. I thought that was that ridiculous until it happened twice in I my mean, own family. I, I remember my sister always threatening my parents of like, I, I know I'm adopted. I'm not part of this family, but like we never actually checked. And I'm scared. I'm scared to check because I was actually talking to our mutual friend Maritza who, who set us up. Uh, you guys know and love her. Um, is that I would be scared to start that at this age and start something in my family that could potentially reveal. I mean, I, I think I'm, I think I'm from them. I see the similarities, but there is that fear of, do I want to know which you speak of a lot? Would you actually, if you could go back, would you still have given him that test? Sometimes, even though my mom has made great friends with her her new half-sister, they have a great relationship. My mom said the other day, I just wish I could take it all back sometimes because her image of her father has changed. In my dad's case, I wish I could take it back, that part of it, and just un unknow it. His life would have been so different. He would have thought of the man who raised him as his biological father, which, by the way, he looks like, even though they're not related. So there goes your theory, Ryan. You think you look like your parents, <laughs> but you never know. I What's, what's your ethnicity? What's your ethnic background? What do you think uh, you are? I think I'm Irish American, uh, yeah. you know, from the, the Bailey. I know there's like a contingent, uh, you know, to be honest, Samuel, I'm completely ignorant in what I am. Like, but what if I, I took the Irish away? What would you feel if tomorrow you found out you're totally Jewish and Mormon and not Irish? It None. would be, it would be, I mean, Zero. it would be shocking. It would be shocking. It yeah. would be, it would make me, it would give me pause. I mean, it would really make me rethink a lot of core beliefs I've had with myself or people saying that's the Irish there in you. you. That's the, you know, it's, it's kind of like in the weird way, how people look at astrology of like, Oh, that's a Taurus trait. And then if I found out I was born in the different month, it would be like, well, then you've been telling me all my life. I'm stubborn because I'm a Taurus. Um, so the other thing I thought was really fascinating is that you make this point. There are many different DNA companies out there. You got 23andMe, you got Ancestry.com, and there are stories in here is if one guy got the 23andMe test instead of the Ancestry.com test, he wouldn't have made the connection. Can exactly. you speak a little bit so basically the way DNA tests work are they're just they're just databases of people, databanks of people. So if you take ancestry.com and your ancestors or your relatives have taken it, you'll match. But if you and I are brothers and we don't know it, Ryan, you take 23andMe, I take Ancestry, there's not going to be a match. Now, Ancestry is the biggest one by far. So if you're looking for somebody or you're trying to figure out a mystery, that's where you want to start. I'm not paid by ancestry.com. This, this is just the reality. <laughs> this I is wish. like big pharma, big DNA. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This is just the reality of the DNA industry. And then 23andMe, which is actually much smaller. So sometimes you just think, I'm going to find out how Irish I am, how Italian I am. And you're kind of just taking a gamble. If that right person has taken that test, boom, you're going to find your true biological father or a brother you didn't know about because your dad was out sleeping with somebody else. <laughs> well, I mean, there, there is the one story where uh, he, the, the one gentleman was overseas at war and, and went on a date, a double date uh, and, exactly. and got a lady pregnant, had no clue. So he's now, I think, in his late 60s, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, his brother sees on a DNA test that, that his brother, the man who was over in Vietnam and had visited the Philippines, has a son from the Philippines who's looking for his biological father. So this is great because this wasn't a family secret. This wasn't something they're trying to keep hush-hush. He just had no idea he had this Filipino son out there, and they get together and create this 
great bond, though there's a tragedy coming down the line and your viewers and listeners will have to uh, tune in to uh, hear what happens. But that's what happens. A lot of times you think once you've had the DNA test, the shock, everything's over, you figure it out and they will just keep on coming. Another sibling pops up or you try to build a relationship with somebody and then there are complications with that. Well, guys, this is the part of the show uh, where I say, hey, stop this podcast. Go subscribe right now now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the pod outlets. Also, slap a five star on there already. It's it's get the Ryan Bailey approval is there. It is so good. We need to push this thing up. I think it is out there very. I mean, it is getting a lot of attention. You were on Good Day LA, I believe, last week, which is an amazing interview. So it's out there, but I want it to be out there even more because I'm telling you, this really falls into the the purview of exactly what we talk about here in just a very different way. I mean, your story involving the you know learning you. You come from a Mormon background. I mean, that's Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, guys. Like, for all, it's all <laughs> this, Mormons. It's- this series has it all because we get into religion. We get into people's sex lives. We get into your parents' sex lives, which most people don't think when they're taking a DNA test that you're- They don't want to think. They don't, they don't want to well, think. And, and we always talk about dads having affairs, but a lot of times what this shows are moms having affairs. Oh, yeah. When you the find out story- you're- Go ahead. The ones you guys, there's one story where they, the the kids were just so used to the dad going to work and then the mom getting dressed in like some kind of like, what was it like a negligee? And then the neighbor across the street would come over and the kids never questioned it. It was just normal life. Because that's how they grew up. But it turns out that mom, like many moms in this series, because they're able to keep it hidden more often. If if they're having an affair, they just think they just say, "Oh yeah, that you're you're my husband's kid." So there's a lot of women having affairs. So this gets to the reality of life. We we focus on men cheating, but there is there are a lot of women it's- doing the same thing, and sometimes for forgivable reasons. There's one woman who finds out that her mom is cheating and that her dad wasn't her biological father, but comes to find out that. Her biological, well, no, the dad who raised her rather was gay. And so now she starts to feel, yes. okay, now I don't feel so bad that my mom was cheating. My dad was gay. So this is the reality of life, not what uh, we always talk about, but what's just, actually happening behind closed doors and under the sheets. It's just so good. And the thing is, it is so binge worthy, you guys. I know we talk about that in terms of TV shows. But I listened to pretty much the entire season within a day. I, I couldn't stop. I was like, oh, I'll do a little here and a little there. And I just powered through it because I just wanted to see what the next story was about. And then you're like, I'll listen for a minute more. I'll listen for a minute more. And it's only in these kind of 30, maybe the longest episode is 36 minutes. So it is so digestible, really just so well done. Um, can you speak a little bit to... Uh, I was reading an article where this initially was supposed to be for for TV. Is that is that correct? Before? That's right. There have there have been a lot of TV channels interested, especially since it's come out now. Some of the cable oh, channels de- oh, definitely, about, yeah. they, they see how riveting it is. No, it's supposed to be a TV series at first, and then COVID happened, and we couldn't travel and go places. So I said, "Well, I'm in my house anyway. I need to be. <laughs> I need to get these stories out there." So I started interviewing people when they were just downloading Zoom for the first time. So <laughs> a lot of these are happening during the pandemic, and the dynamic is really interesting because some people are finding out they have a daughter and just meeting them for the first time over FaceTime, Zoom. One father and daughter haven't even met each other yet. A man who was a drummer for Bob Dylan finds out that he has a daughter. This is a woman who was actually given up for adoption. She thinks she's found her biological father who she never clicks with. And then she takes the DNA test and finds out this well-known drummer for Bob Dylan, Tina Turner, is actually her father. And 
most people are upset to find this out. And she's always loved music. And she goes, no wonder I didn't feel that click with the man who I thought was my biological father, this Bob Dylan guy. It makes way more sense. So he says, man, you knocked me out when I found that out. You knocked me out, man. I'm such a geek about the process of putting podcasts together. Uh, when you're coming, you're obviously at the end of this journey for this season. Um, what was the advantages and possibly disadvantages? I know disadvantages, probably Zoom and, and things like that. But did you find advantages of going to a podcast format only? Uh, did you find there's something strengths in that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, having worked in television, I know how fake television can be. Even coming from the journalism world, I know once people are thinking about what they look like, what their hair is, how their makeup is, they're giving you less of you. When you can't see each other, much like Terry Gross from Fresh Air on NPR does, she has no, no camera. So that means the people who aren't really comfortable being on camera, they give you much more of themselves. They're much more intimate. They will give you that full... Uh, that full feeling, the deepest, darkest secrets that they wouldn't necessarily say when they're looking into your eyes. So I think I got a lot more out of people with this podcast than I would have if we were dealing with all the lights and camera of television. I love that. I mean, was there also a plan of attack or a um, acknowledgement in your head of like trying to uh, you know, trying to get in there with people that are finding out very uncomfortable information and trying to form some kind of quick bond to be able to interview them. Is that a delicate balance? Many of the people in the podcast I've actually known for a couple of years. I've been searching for these stories for a long See, time. That's okay. That's was my next question was when did this all start and what that it was like Indiana Jones studying for like searching for relics. So two years ago, I started looking for the sexiest headlines. And I would tell that to people. I say, you're a gay guy who found out that he has a daughter. I mean, that's just, I said, you're in, you're in one set's going to be out there, but I also looked for people who would really bear their soul and keep it real. Because I think it's interesting that we haven't had one real celebrity come out and talk about this, that uh, there has to be some celebrity, some reality star, some A-level star. I think Jack Nicholson had a really fascinating story where his, Uh, He was told his sister raised him and it turned out to be his actual mom or something like that, I believe. Yes, there are a few of those out there, but a lot of them aren't the DNA bombshells that that are happening on these. So I really looked for people who would who would be honest because a lot of people suffer. A couple of the people in my series really suffered because they thought they were the only ones that this was happening to because it's not in the commercials. It's not going to be on Henry Louis Gates series. So they thought that they were alone. So they wanted to other people to know how how much it had confused their the real identity crisis they had gone through, whether ethnicity, race, family. And so they were, I thought people, I was going to have to beg them, Ryan, these people had gone through so much shame that they were ready to shout it from the rooftops or their parents had kept it secret from them. So now to almost get back at their parents in kind of a reverse psychology way, they're getting up from their rooftops and shouting. There's got to be a a, a catharsis with it almost, you know, of being able to like expel the demons in a, in a sense. That's what so many people told me. One woman, she wanted to buy me dinner after being on the podcast. I said, why would you pay for dinner? She said, this was so much cheaper than therapy, Samuel. Was there ever, uh, in that, uh, in that search, you know, which by the way, a, cu- a couple year search, this definitely is a, it must've been some sort of passion project for you. I'm assuming because of your own personal history, but as a reporter, do you always, do you have four things that you're working on a time that you're like, well, this project's been going on for five years. It'll see the light of day in two years. Is that how it works as a reporter or what you do? 
For me, it had to work that way because the DNA industry is never going to sponsor this podcast. They don't want stories out there that show the negative, the dark side of DNA testing. They only want the positive side. So finding a place to sponsor this work, to invest in this work, which I eventually found in a division of CNN called CNN Philippines. CNN has channels all over the world and they want to invest more in digital. And so we do tell stories of Americans, Filipinos, people all over the world. So I do, I'm working on other projects. I host a show called Work From Home. Yes, I was I <laughs> my podcast from home. So that's generally how journalists have to do it. I mean, I learned that from Anderson and Christian. Anderson was off shooting for 60 Minutes when I first started working for him, doing the talk show, doing the evening show on CNN. So I think no matter how successful you are from uh, Samuel Burke up to Anderson Cooper, you have to have your hands in multiple pots to make it work in this business. Let's go back to young Samuel Burke. So you go to ASU. Do you know from the get-go when you get there, are you undecided or are you like, this was always my goal to be on TV, to be in news? Oh, Ryan, long before that, I was a young kid always presenting the local newscasters and yes. when the credits would roll and back in the day when they actually used to introduce each of them with the headshot. No, I've always, always wanted to work in news. And I really idolized Christian and, and Anderson. And I got my dream come true. Those were my first two jobs in television was first as Anderson's, Anderson's intern and then traveling in the Middle East with Christian. So did the Cronkite School, and by the way, there are ads for the Cronkite School on the podcast, which I think is really cool. Um, it, it, did that really, did that introduce you to be able to be an intern for Anderson? Absolutely. If you're interested in any aspect of media, not necessarily hard journalism, I'm not paid by the Cronkite School, much like I'm not paid by the DNA industry. Really the best decision I ever made, because this is a school that's all about practice. It's not just journalism ethics or PR ethics. They put you right there and they took me to a journalism conference with Anderson's executive producer. And I walked up and said, I go to the Cronkite School. And within a few days, I had the internship and was right there uh, getting Anderson's lunch. I, that's where everybody, he likes by the way, chicken. you guys, Hey, that's breaking protein. news right here. Protein. And by the way, we all know Anderson Cooper, Andy Cohen's best friend. So that's the reality show connection. Um, is there, I always talk to, I talk to a lot of actors. I teach actors and we talk about being on set for the first time and how they don't really teach you what that actual experience when they say action in front of 50 people that are all doing their jobs and you have to do your job um, is, you know, getting thrown into those waters. Um, can you speak of the first time you were actually on TV, on CNN, or doing actual reporting, what that experience was, was like? Hor horrendous. Absolutely <laughs> terrible. I mean, I didn't know what the heck I was doing, but I was lucky that I had a place like the Cronkite School that just did it over and over and over again. They put you on air until you got it right and then pushed you out into the real world. But I, there, there's a lot of training that goes into being a good broadcaster, even the people who are the most natural at it. I mean, when you get in the business and you start hearing the people who were Oprah's coaches, and acting classes. Oprah had coaches? Oprah had classes. Oh, guys, Oprah had coaches. We talk about her all the time. That's amazing to hear. Oprah used the same speaking coach that Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel, used. So no matter what you feel about Oprah or your politics about the oh. Middle East, I mean, that just shows you that the people who are really dedicated, and I include Anderson and Christian and Chris Cuomo, all the people I've had the honor of working around, they are lifelong learners that never stop, even when they get in into the high spots that they are in their career, they're always pushing themselves forward to be the best performers, which is kind of funny because journalism is all about the truth. So people don't like to think of it as a performance, but there is that aspect to it if you want to do it well.
When I first, uh, I remember being an actor and, and getting my first couple of jobs as an actor. And I was like, well, I mean, I'm getting hired. I don't think I need class anymore. That means I, I did it. I graduated. And that is just so wrong is that you realize you need to constantly be learning constantly. It's like keeping that machine warm. Um, but there are there those, those habits. So you're saying all of these people you worked for had a very similar habit in that they all just continued the, to thrive, to learn, to be better, never giving up. And consummate consumers of information. I mean, Anderson, this he wasn't talking about this as publicly then, but I knew it then. He was obsessed with The View and a lot of reality shows. <laughs> Later on, he'd start talking about how much he liked Honey Boo Boo as people got to know yes, him yes. as a TV I, personality. And by the way, Anderson has a great giggle. We've, all, we've talked about his giggle on the show before. <laughs> no, but those people, they are constantly looking at media and consuming it and figuring out what's the where's the next place that media is going. And if you look at a show like Anderson's, it's changed a lot over the years. People think of Anderson Cooper 360 as the same show, but people from him to Christian to Don Lemon, what they do is in constant flux as they go with the flow and see where the media world is moving. Is there a person that you went into this wanting to emulate more than like I have actors and I'm like, oh, I love Tom Hanks so much. Is there is there people like you that you geek out reporter wise or like this is the one to watch or, you know, like, do you have your favorites? Christian was always my favorite. Christian such a beautiful Amanford. voice, such good reporting. I mean, just amazing. And if you don't know her reporting, you might know her from the Gilmore Girls, and she was a reoccurring <laughs> character. That she always says, "I've reported from the toughest spots in the world," and people still come up to me and say, "Oh, the Gilmore Girls." Pop culture—that's it's crazy that pop culture we get the attention sometimes that like these hard-hitting news journalists. It'll always be the pop culture thing they're remembered for. The, the, I learned from her what that first of all taking journalism so seriously. She really believes in the truest power of journalism and has never fallen into the partisan way that so many journalists have fallen into these days. But again, that hard work, never stopping and constantly adapting to whatever the, the medium is. So whether she's working on a podcast or doing a documentary about sex on Netflix. So yes, I, yes. But I still go crazy every time I, which is almost daily, she and I text and, and call each other. And I still freak out every time I see Christian Amanport you know, popping up on my, Sex, my phone. Yeah, yeah. Anderson doesn't call me as often. <laughs> so, I mean, and then, so as the reporter, is it always, I mean, how does that business work before we get back into the DNA? Is it, are you constantly being put up for jobs? Are you like CNN, you have your thing and they, I mean, what is, how do you move up in, I mean, it seems like you're such at a sweet spot right now. Has COVID taken that down at all? Are you fighting your way back up? Because this podcast series, I have to imagine, like, you have to be really proud of this. This is like really good work. You have to constantly be fighting in the media world. I mean, I've seen it with a lot of the people that I've mentioned in this podcast that a new president of an organization comes along and they may like somebody new or yeah. people who have switched. Anderson was at ABC for years, actually hosting The Mole on ABC, oh, that, yes, reality that reality show, show yes. before he became uh, well-known. And I think Anderson said publicly about being at the morning show at CNN and having people, uh, an anchor who I won't name say like, get out of, get off camera, get out of the way. So he's, it was inspiring for me when I became an intern, him saying, you know, I know I'm very well-known now, but I've had times where I was just at CNN in the, the office, not working because Paul Lazan wanted me out of the way or we just didn't <laughs> gel. Did I just say that? Yeah, everybody has an origin story, which I find yep. fascinating. And anybody where they are, people sometimes 
think it's like lucky breaks and stuff like that. Any lucky break that you think is a lucky break has, I mean, 10,000 hours of hard, hard work behind it. And that's why when they get to where they are, they are so polished. Like, I mean, were you to the point where you were practicing in front of the mirror saying, I'm Samuel Burke for CNN, you know? Oh, a hundred percent in the shower, in front of the mirror and all the really good ones do that. And even people, they're still doing that to this day. I always think of Don Lemon. Don was on the weekdays, got pushed to the weekends, which he had a bigger audience, actually. A lot of times people don't realize weekends are bigger in television than even weekdays. Is that and true? Yes. I mean, people are people have less to do on the weekends. So I Don, just because they always seem like they they don't put as much news on the weekends. They always like on like MSNBC, they usually throw like datelines at, at the end of yeah, the night, you know? Because those get so get get the yeah, ratings. Yeah, but you're right. Don had like had this great tra- trajectory of of having to fly with the turbulence and then becoming this huge phenomenon in the evenings on CNN. So those people really showing their tenaciousness and 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 just staying with it no matter what happens. And I mean these Barbara Walters talks about those times in her career even you know, when things got difficult, the view was in part because you know, she wasn't getting all of the gigs that she thought that she deserved. So you have to create your own luck a lot of the time. Did you read that book on the view? Uh, Ladies who punch. Of course I did. So Every- good. I, so, I mean, I, I loved it so much. That's the real reality show of the world. I know the fights in between there. What's so telling about that one, I think is really, it's a foretelling of Donald Trump. If you look in there, you can kind of see that Donald Trump was on his way, but Joy Behar, Joy always, who I got to know at CNN because she had her HLN show and would fill in for Larry King. And she would talk about how becoming famous at 50 is the best thing that could ever happen to you. And why, why, and why is that? Just because she's so set in who she is already, knows who she is? Yeah, and less insecure and her ego isn't out of, as out of control as people who get famous so young. So I learned a lot from those people. And I have to say, Larry King, he, I was actually a guest on Larry King's show. I was tangentially uh, linked to the congressional page sex scandal because I was a oh. congressional page. And he interviewed me when this was all happening with representative then Representative Mark Foley. And I remember seeing him and, and showing how he does doesn't prepare. Most of us do prepare. You have to learn not to prepare to excess or it becomes too manufactured. But Larry did very little preparation. And I just saw that he really was a genius. Even someone like Christian, who did much harder news, had this real reverence for Larry because he was just so good and he asked it on the fly and he worked from his heart. And that's the number thing, number one thing I've learned, whether it's the people in this podcast who you really connect with on Suddenly Family, or whether it's these great journalists or even Nancy Grace. What do those people have in common? When they come, they come full fledged when christian's out in the in egypt reporting or nancy grace is reporting on a court case they come with the full gavel and that's the commonality that those people have i talk about this a lot on the podcast is i really love uh part of what attracts me to a uh reporter a reality star or whatever is that they're sh- i i feel like i'm getting a sense of who they are along with what they're the information that they're giving us and that's why i really love the podcast is because as much as i love what the podcast is about you there is a, a mirror into you, you know, there is something that you were holding up and you, you get the feeling of who you are as a person, which I think, I think is like the highest compliment you can give somebody is that you are fascinated with these stories, but it's also, you're a great every man to put these stories through. And the fact that you were brave enough, even though you didn't want to, to put in your own story, it gives it weight. It gives it a foundation. So you can go into all these different directions and know the person behind it 
has has skin in the game. This is meaningful to this person. And it's not just, ah, this is just something I'm doing to get out there. You know, I think that gives it such weight. Well, I love asking people about themselves, which is what I think a real journalist should be, even though a lot of journalists end up talking about themselves. I'm actually much more interested in other people than I am myself. So to get somebody who will allow me to ask some of the darkest questions, and some of these people have gone through hell and back. I mean, people who have been suicidal in the podcast, who have dealt with all types of abuse, people who will really come forward and answer those really tough questions about life happily because they want people to learn from them. That is really euphoria for me. Yeah, I it's you're just making me geek out a lot because I'm you just I'm still thinking about the Larry King thing because as a kid I was the geek kid that watched Larry King every night because it was a different guest each time and he he would he would he would just want to find out what's going on like tell me about this it was very simple and straightforward it didn't uh it wasn't uh, trying to act uh, like he was better than you. He asked the questions you wanted to know. And Charlie Rose, actually, I'm so sad what happened to Charlie or what Charlie Rose did to himself because that was another one that he was like, he could talk to anybody. He was talking to an actor, director the next time he was talking to a scientist and he treated them all the same. And it was just really always good conversations. Gift of gab. I mean, it is amazing how many people in this industry whose inability to control themselves has done them in, even though that they have these great talents. And it's a big struggle for those of us in the industry. I mean, I'm the biggest fan of Jeffrey Tambor from Transparent. Oh, yeah, Transparent, and Larry Sanders show. Exactly. Ever, yeah. And so it's really devastating for me because I had interviewing him had helped elevate me at CNN and I just was in such admiration. And he really opened my eyes to the, the transgender world, him playing that character, even though I know that's controversial in the trans community. But I, I really felt because of him, it, it really opened up my eyes and my heart. So to see somebody that I yes. respect so much, who I had formed a relationship with, have this type of incident. I really felt for people like Katie Couric and, and whatnot, who, who revere these people that they work with, who are absolutely human. It's not an excuse for what they've done at all, but in, very hard when you're in this type of business and, and this type of incredibly poor, ugly behavior is going on. And it, it doesn't just hurt the victims, but everybody else who is left around, who admires these people is also left questioning their character and your own character sometimes. Yeah, I just finished watching the Ronan V. Farrow documentary on HBO Max. And that was another one where, you know, these things that Woody Allen did, you know, come to light and you have like what, you know, the can you separate the art from the man? And it's like the same thing with uh, I was reading Ronan's Catch and Kill book and there's a whole section on Matt Lauer in there. And, it, you know, this is somebody that is so genial. So uh, which beloved. By the way, when I was an intern at Anderson Anderson Show at two, in 2009, I moved to New York from Arizona. These types of rumors, which is what they were then about Matt Lauer, were out there. So all these people who say they had no idea, I'm sure some of them are being genuine. But come on, how did I as an intern at like 20 Knew years old it. in New York, how did I know about it? And all these other people didn't well, know. It's the same thing about Weinstein. You know, it was a known secret in in Hollywood, but it was it was almost kind of laughed about like, oh, he likes to get the old casting couch you know it was like we almost kind of made light of it instead of actually digging in to hear these stories which is you know i guess the work that you do is digging into these stories um the final two episodes are coming out what 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 days do you launch po the the podcast on the new episodes well it's actually in partnership with cnn in asia so they come out on friday in asia which is thursday our time and so this week we have an episode coming out about two people who think the other is dead both a mother and daughter who believe Jeez. that the other is dead. This is part of the baby scoop era in the United States, which really hasn't had a lot of coverage. A lot of women. Wait, what, baby scoop? 
baby scoop era. So this okay. is from the end of World War II up until the 80s, where women's babies were taken away from them by force or uh, being coerced to have their babies taken away from them. And a lot of times they didn't even know what had happened with their babies, if they were dead or alive. So in this episode, we get into uh, this incredible drama and uh, go back in history a little bit. And then the final episode of this season is actually what started me on DNA. We had a cousin, my dad's first cousin, who had disappeared in the 1980s, and he was presumed to be gay. Nobody was sure of that, but he disappeared, and I had tried looking for him when I moved to New York, and I had... My family thought maybe he had died of AIDS. He had disappeared in the late 80s, early 90s. It seemed to fit a profile. That kind of seemed like a cruel stereotype to me as a gay man. And then I went to a gay synagogue in New York. If you ever want great stories, go to a gay synagogue. <laughs> and the rabbi there one day on World, Aid, World AIDS Day talked about how so many of the members of their congregation in, in the late 80s, early 90s had died. Their families weren't with them. They hadn't been out to their families. And so in talking with her, I kind of figured out that this is what had happened to my my dad's cousin and kind of came to peace with it. I take a DNA test and find out that is not the story. My cousin Jerry is alive and well, living in Miami with his two partners, really living a great life, traveling between Europe and the United States. But the real reason that he had been in hiding from us is the real mystery of this story and gets into an evil stepmother, blackmail, how gays were treated in this time by my own family. And so it's an incredible Have you bought the rights to this story? Have you bought the rights to this story? I mean, this and are you so this is a 10 episode series i mean i almost think was it like for you uh like artists talk about albums like where they do song placements was there a very planned out of like okay i gotta release this as 10 i'm gonna put my personal story at four like what what was that part of it as well Oh, I was totally like Mariah Carey figuring yeah. out, should Honey be the first single? Should Fantasy be the first single? <laughs> what should go where? Yes, it's a real art trying to figure that out. And any, even though the stories are radically different, anything that might have a slight similarity, you're moving them apart and trying to figure it out. And I really came to regret buying the DNA test for my dad. And then we have this DNA discovery that really made everything so joyous. Finding this cousin who I'm really close with now. We talk all the time. We've seen each other in three countries. I adore his partners. They've met my partner. So that really does show you the the, the black, white, and gray of these DNA tests and the radical things that are happening in your life without you knowing it. Will there be a season two? This is the craziest part about this podcast. I thought I was going to have to beg, borrow, and steal to get people to come on and bear their souls and search up and down. The search gets easier and easier because since this has come out, people are pouring out of the woodworks talking about their wild DNA stories even crazier than some of the ones that we have on this season. So I think inevitably there'll be another season or a TV series. And interestingly, something that's come up is finding family in the Trump era. People who are praying that the family they find on a DNA test aren't Republicans or aren't Democrats. So I'm really intrigued by this whole aspect. And there's somebody I've been speaking with lately who's of mixed race and he finds a sister and what the whole dynamic is, is she's posting anti-CNN material oh while God. he's working at CNN. And I mean, it really gets to the heart and soul of who we are as a country right now in this very divided time we live in. 
but you will you would still consider doing that or it's not like like that chapter is closed for me i'm on to the next thing oh no the the dna stories are constantly changing and there's so much there's so much new material out there and again this for me is really what life is about because we get into the nitty-gritty of the, the truisms of life of who we are sexually of who we are as family what family means and what about the family that you were raised with but you don't like and this new family that you find and what obligations do you have to people who you may not like and people who you've just met who you feel much closer about for, so to me getting down to that familial level is really the heartbeat of and, life and all from one swab all from one swab and the technology today that was not there 20 30 40 years ago i mean that and, and it makes you think what 10 years from now will look like you know um uh couple more questions before we uh, leave here um, because I could talk to you all day is how do you go about finding these people? How do you go about knocking on doors for something so specific? Because the DNA companies obviously aren't working with you. There are a lot of support groups out there for people who find out that one of their parents isn't their biological family or biological parent. Uh, It's called NPE, Not Parent Expected Fellowship. So anybody who has this not parent expected reality can join this group. And so that's where I started as my parents were finding out this information about their families, their parents. I joined there and told people, I want to tell my family story because people aren't talking about this a lot in public. And that's when people started reaching out to me and saying that they wanted to share their stories. Though, as as this is so pervasive at this point, one night, Christian Amanpour and I were at dinner and this woman came over and said, excuse me, are you Christian Amanpour? Yeah, she said, well, I've been listening in on your conversation. This was me talking very loudly as I do. And she said, <laughs> I have to tell you about my own DNA story. So word of mouth at this point, because it's happening to so many people is actually bringing those people to me. It's not a push and pull anymore. It's much more of a people are just pushed in. Yeah. I mean, um, the other thing I was thinking about is uh, when I started really paying attention, not paying attention to DNA, but it was really in a lot of our faces was the Golden State Killer uh, from California is that they were able to catch a man that they had been trying to catch for 30 plus years through, I believe, Ancestry.com. They they set up a sting. They got his DNA on a Coke can or something, and they arrested him from that. Was that ever a consideration in anything like of how dark you would go? Would that be a story that you would ever cover? I, I think the episode six, which is a woman who is believed to have been murdered by oh, her Christmas. family yeah, yeah. around Christmas time, 70 plus years ago, is as dark as we get. I didn't want to get into the whole crime aspect because there are people who are doing that with DNA. Yeah. I, and because there was a family story here, I wanted to do it. But it certainly does happen. And there's just a story in the news this week about a woman who was given up for adoption, does her DNA test and finds out that her biological father is, uh, is a big time murderer. And so there are all these aspects. Also a well-known case about a woman who believes she's black and then takes a DNA test Ugh. and finds out that she's not African-American only to find out later that she is African-American. One interesting note, when my mom's DNA test came back at first, it was everything I expected. I said, mom, there's one surprise part though. And she said, what, is it East Indian? And I said, yeah, how did you know that? My mom had always heard a rumor about somebody East Indian in her Greek family. Sure enough, it was there. And then later it disappeared, that part of her DNA test. So your DNA results change as they get more information. And there's a lot of noise. Anything below 5%, you can just ignore that. It (laughs) it may be true or may not be true, but it's really not much there. 
Um, and, and finally, I know um, uh, you covered, I mean, you even, uh, the Royals are really big. Uh, I mean, I'm a, I'm a newfound fan of the Royals, but you covered, you covered the, the wedding. I mean, you even, uh, was that for CNN? For CNN, after after the Meghan Markle, Prince Harry interview, somebody wrote me and said, I'm sure Prince Harry is going to be the next person writing you for a DNA test. Because <laughs> I don't know if it's as well known here, but in the UK, where I'm actually based in London, there's always talk about Prince Harry actually being the son of somebody that Diana talked publicly about having an affair with, another redheaded guy. So British people are always talking about when's Prince Harry going to take the DNA test? Yeah, I mean, it, it, was, it was fascinating just how... I mean, we we saw from that Oprah interview, which I really uh, I love for so many reasons. But I was just shocked at at finally starting to pay attention to what a fever pitch everything around the Royals, it, it, you know. And I can't imagine covering a wedding like that is is just huge for so many reasons. There are so many hardcore like fans of these people. It, it borders on like stan culture. I'll be honest, when I was having to cover Harry and Meghan's wedding, I was, I, I take news seriously and I thought this is just fluff. And when I was yeah. out there, people were so excited. The UK had gone through a really hard time with Brexit, a lot of terror attacks, and people were so happy to be together. People love a wedding. I said, you know what? Why do the journalists have to suck all the fun out of life? I'm going all <laughs> in on this. People love a good romance. You have the UK and the US, a Brit and an American, an actress and a royal. And so I I just went all in. So I really, I really like the couple and I think they're going to have a great life out in LA. London is very confining. I work and live very close to the area where the Royals usually are. And people don't realize it's a very small, confining, dark and rainy place. They're going to love their life out in LA. <laughs> It's, I mean, yeah, I mean, it already, even in that setting in the backyard of Rob Lowe's house, you know, it was like already beautiful. Um, uh, well, Samuel, this was just been, oh, actually, where do you think news is headed? Like, so we had a, just an insane year because of the political landscape where, I mean, uh, and, and, and I, I was talking to a friend yesterday that I'm like, oh my God, without, you know, that who the guy we, we won't name, uh, no longer, you know, kind of saturating the TV markets. Like what is next for cable news? Like how do we, how do you guys come back to earth after such a stratospheric four years of insanity, no matter which party you're on? Well, a lot of people who were talking about our twice impeached former president before he had taken office were saying this was the end of news. Their revenue was declining. Online had really hurt cable in so many ways. And the truth is that he was the gift that kept on giving in terms of ratings and money. Yeah. So, I, I mean, it's given a lot of companies a lot of padding for the next four years. And I think a lot of it will be determined on whether he runs again or one of his kids run again. But certainly news is headed to a very dystopian place if it's not already there. What Roger Ailes did was genius business-wise creating fox news i mean it is the biggest cash cow in, in it's like news. the marvel the marvel cinematic universe of news a hundred percent and i think very people very few people realize how much that's dictated the other cable channels coverage and how they've changed in in these years but i do th obviously it's already you know so much online this probably uh, will be the last run for cable in the way that we know it now and i i'm Unfortunately, because I was a big believer in social media and I was one of the first people pushing people at CNN to use it, I think we're heading for a really 
uh, ugly place. Unfortunately, because we all get our news from different places, it creates the bubbles that we're all familiar with now. And because we don't have that one thing, that's what's so incredible about the Meghan Markle, Prince Harry, Oprah interview is one of the few times left in news where we were all together watching the same thing because that just doesn't happen anymore. And people thought media would be so much better with many more voices. And it's actually had the effect of separating and dividing us instead of bringing us together. Yeah, it used to be entertainment was everybody was like these big things, whether, you know, whether it be the the season finale of, like, I don't know, like the Carol Burnett show or MASH or something like that. And now there's very specific, like all you need is a specific slice of the audience to play to. And that is a whole separate thing. So you have like a hundred different voices kind of clouding this, this, this arena. Look at the competitors to Fox now, Newsmax and those people are trying to, Fox <laughs> is to losing Fox. on, yes, and they're going to do it and they will find their way economically. So that's a very dangerous place. And by the way, I did a, I speak Spanish and I worked on CNN in Espanol for many years. And let me tell you, I already saw Donald Trump in the form of Hugo Chavez. I'm not talking necessarily about their politics. Chavez was huge on Twitter, often at war with CNN. I remember him going after Patricia Janot, who's like the Christian Amanpour of CNN. So I have seen what happens when people go after journalists in the media before. I watched it all play out in Venezuela before. It's actually not a news story what uh, Mr. Trump was. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a playbook that he does. I mean, it's like fear inciting, like, and people want to believe in something. People want to be told what to believe, which I just find fascinating. So do you have a visceral reaction when you hear fake news? When you hear the term fake news, is that like, is just, it's, it's not even a political reaction. It's more of a fundamental democracy. What do you believe? I mean, when you're going after when the messenger, when you're trying to kill the messenger, I don't care who you are, if you're a Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative, because I've seen it on both sides of the aisle. We're in a bad place when you're going after the media. That doesn't mean that the media doesn't deserve criticism. People who are in the media are the most, are the first people to, to criticize the media. But when you see a politician doing that, it only means one thing that it is all about them and nothing to do about (laughs) democracy. Again, the left, the right, Latin America, the United States, we've seen it before. Yeah, I mean, being self-centered and obsessed with yourself is uh, is is not unique to just uh, politics. It's everywhere. So. And, Demo- and Democrats do it too. There are Democrats oh, yeah. oh going to who they'll go after the media and John Edwards when he had the baby that he was trying to hide and going after the media. And you 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 see it when the going gets tough for a lot of people. That's what I'm saying. Reality shows hold do not hold a candle to actual real life. But what I find great about your podcast, Suddenly Family, uh, would you have to go subscribe to guys is that it's not uh it's not something you have to worry about in a partisan way these are this is real reporting that's telling real stories of real people you know there is no fluff in here this is real stories and that's what i really really connected with and i know you guys will connect with it so please do yourself a favor subscribe to it you're going to love it um is there anything else to expect for you coming up samuel besides this right now i'm just working on these projects and and work from home and um, just trying to now uh, step back and enjoy uh, these DNA stories now that they're all put together. I do well, have to tell you my all-time favorite reality show. Just oh, I, I, reality I, 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 did, I didn't. Well, yeah, please, please. Because it's you. I'll never forget when Andy Cohen said to Luann, Countess Luann, is there anything you've learned from this experience being arrested for public drunkenness <laughs> and going, you know, being in jail overnight? And Countess Luann said without missing a beat, Andy, I wasn't able to use my phone. So if there's one thing I've learned when you're in jail, you need to have your lawyer's number memorized. 
That Countess Luann does it the best. She does it the best. Wait, do you do you ever deem to watch reality shows? Like, what do you watch on? Like, what is your like like? Uh, I was Anderson. Pleasure? I was Anderson Cooper's into. So you had, of course, to. I okay. watched him. No, I mean, I do love the Braxtons. The Braxtons was my is my all time biggest guilty pleasure. Just they're we TV, right? Yeah, I just love Tony Braxton so much, and and the sisters. So that would be my biggest one, and then Real Housewives of of New York. Uh, don't let Maritza talk you into watching Love After Lockup. She's always trying to push that show, and it's 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 a lot of bad actors, and it's basically people that have gotten out of prison and found love. Uh, oh, and Ninety Day Fiance. Oh my God! With it. Did you watch obsessed. last night? Yes. Did you watch last night? I, I haven't yet, but Maritza and I talk about it a lot. Maybe because I have a foreigner fiance. So <laughs> I love that show. It is, it is delectable. Such, such a mess. It is such a mess. Um, oh, also, uh, there's a show called Vanderpump Rules that you probably have not watched, but like four of, of the cast, four of the cast members are pregnant right now. Lala just gave birth yesterday. Can I pitch an entire Vanderpump Rules DNA episode for the second season? They could Let's get it. those babies tested. Don't forget, they come from London and they ran a lot of gay clubs in London. So a lot of people in my circles know them quite well. They're they're fascinating. They are. So um, you guys go check out this podcast. You, Samuel, thank you so much. This was really just a, a bucket list interview for me to talk to somebody like you. Uh, really, truly, truly an amazing podcast and very much inspired me to make my show better. So thank you so much for everything that you, you do. And uh, we will talk to you next time. I love listening to you. So the honor is...
Betches.